Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Let's get into the message today because we are living in uncertain times. We are living in troubled times. And many of you know that that I love to look at various characters in the Bible. I love to examine how Christ changed their lives through all of the interaction that he had with them. And so I'm going to talk about someone I spoke about some months ago, Thomas, because I think that the message is relevant for today. Our Jewish friends, community will be celebrating Passover this week. And it is truly a a beautiful celebration because Jesus is our Passover. We remember in the gospel times, it was sometime around this day, he entered Jerusalem. He entered upon a donkey. And no one had ever ridden this animal before. He enters in triumphantly to Jerusalem. He enters in and there is great fanfare. Because the Israelites were looking for someone who would just be able to overthrow the Romans. They were looking for someone who could give them the answers. They were looking for someone who could help them in troubled times. Our day and age, we're looking for the same thing, aren't we? We're looking for someone who will give us the answers that will take care of the needs in our troubled times. The answer doesn't lie in somebody else taking care of all of this. The answer lies in how will you respond with Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to talk to you about someone by the name of Thomas, a loyal friend. And I said... So I did talk about Thomas a little bit. We did look at some things in his life. He's usually called Doubting Thomas, but that really that's not a good term for him. And I think today we'll see through the scriptures why that is. And I want to tie that into this time of the year so that we can understand that in our lives and what's happening in us, that Christ wants to change our lives so that we can affect others. There are so many people that are asking such amazing questions because they want to know, is this the last days? Are this, is this it? We don't know. That's in God's hands. What we do know is that we need to be ready to meet the Lord any day, every day. We need to be of such a mind and be so prepared that we don't have to doubt, but that we can know, that we can be assured. Doubting Thomas really isn't a fitting label for this man. It is fair to say that he was a brooder. (laughs) He was one who was kind of a worrywart, a negative person, a pessimist. It appears that he was always anticipating the worst. Whatever might come, he was anticipating that bad things were going to happen. And so 
Thomas is also called in the Greek Didymus. In the Hebrew, the name Tom is a Hebrew name. Thomas is the Greek translation of that. And I'm so thankful my, <laughs> I've got a grandson named Thomas. Uh, some other friends that have known me and they knew that because that's my middle name I was honored that my kids would would name (laughs) our our first grandson and so maybe that's why it's very tender to my heart and that's why I want to know more about this man and more about the impact that Jesus had in his life. He is mentioned in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but just once. He's just put in the list that's there along with the other 11 apostles. But it's from John's Gospel that we learn something about him. It's in John's Gospel that we really understand more about the man. And I think that he was very much like the Apostle John. I think they had a lot of similar characteristics. And I think those characteristics was that they had deep and loyal love for Jesus Christ. So John is describing something here in the prelude of the raising of Lazarus, which we find in John chapter 10. And I'm going to read verse 40. John chapter 10 and verse 40. This is just before He goes back to Bethany and raises Lazarus from the dead. And it says, And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him. You see, there was a a great fruitful ministry going on there at the same place beyond the Jordan. Christ had come back and there so many beautiful things. People were being drawn to him. They were being attracted to Christ. They were seeing what he was doing there. And many believed in him. Maybe this was one of the very fruitful times in Jesus' personal ministry on this earth. Because many began to follow him. People were responding. Souls were being saved. Jesus was able to minister freely. There was no opposition. There was no interruptions. The religious leaders were back in Jerusalem. And if you go back in John chapter 10, you can see they had just tried while Jesus was in Jerusalem. They had tried to stone him. In John chapter 8, as that story continues, you can see how they tried to catch him up. They wanted to get him. They had determined that they were going to kill Jesus. Because after all, the people recognized that, hey, maybe this is Messiah. And those religious leaders were losing their influence. Because no one taught, no one impacted lives before like Jesus. So maybe this being one of the most fruitful days in Christ's life and His personal ministry. But something happens at this time that we get this, that kind of intrudes in the personal ministry. And let's look at John 11 verses 1 and 2. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was sick. So now that's what's interrupting. And Bethany was just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Jesus was close to this family. 
He loved them just as the scripture says he was. They, they helped him. They ministered to Jesus. They took care of him. And of course, he had a great love for them as well. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus in verse 3. It says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So now they're saying, wait a minute, Lazarus is sick here. You've got to come. You're going to have to come and help. You're going to have to come and do something to, to assist. We need you, Lord. We need you. Maybe we feel much that way in our day and age. We might feel like, Lord, boy, we need you. This is really kind of a present quandary that Christ is going through. Here he is by the Jordan. People are coming, but of course... Maybe quandary isn't the right word because Christ knew exactly what he was going to do. But if he goes back close to Jerusalem, he's walking into the very teeth of the adversary. He's walking right back into their hands. In John chapter 10 verse 39 it says, Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. And then we see in chapter 11 that Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick. But that's nothing new. He had already escaped them and the disciples really probably sighed some relief when Jesus said the sickness is not unto the death but for the glory of God. Let me just read verse 4 of chapter 11. When Jesus heard that he said this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So what he meant, of course, was Lazarus' death would not be the ultimate result of this sickness. The Son of God knew that the Father was going to glorify himself by raising Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus knew, of course, that Lazarus was going to die. He knew the very hour of his death. And that's why in here in 11, 5 and 6, John writes these words. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That might seem like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Jesus was able to heal. Why didn't he go? Why didn't he want to go and take just take care of that? It might seem kind of a juxtaposition of statements. Why is it that he loved Lazarus and his family, but he stays put? He deliberately waited, he tarried to give Lazarus time to die. But actually, that was an act of love. In our minds, we might have been looking at the situation just from what we could see, but Jesus had the knowledge, he had the understanding, he knew all of those things which were about to take place in every event and he was greater this whole purpose was greater in its plan because as a result of Lazarus being raised thousands came and wanted to see this man whom had been raised from the dead this was going to be done for the very glory of God and to lift up and glorify Jesus Christ as he instead of just healing his sickness, to raise him from the dead. It strengthened their faith. Already, Lazarus had been dead four days when Jesus arrives there. Of course, 
Jesus had supernatural knowledge. He knew exactly when he was going to die. Look at verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. We're going to go to Judea. Now, the disciples must have cried out. The apostles must have cried out, Rabbi, don't you remember they're going to stone you? They want to kill you. There's a plot to get you. Why are you going there again? And frankly, in verse 8, it says, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? You're going to go back right into the mouth of the lion as such? They did not want to go back to Jerusalem. They did not want to go to Bethany. The ministry in the wilderness was phenomenal. Great things were happening. Now is not a good time to visit Bethany. And really that's what's on their mind. They're floundering in fear. They were convinced that if Jesus returned to Bethany, he would be killed. But he had made up his mind. He had decided. Do you ever feel that way? And maybe in these days in which we're living, you might feel kind of like, wow, we don't know what's coming ahead. We might have that fearfulness of what's going to happen around us. But Jesus' answer is very interesting. He says in verse 9 and 10, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. You see, Jesus knew exactly what his plan and purpose was. He knew exactly what was going on. In other words, there was no need to hide. There was no need to kind of skulk around. He was determined to do what he was going to do in the bright light of the day. He was not walking in darkness. He was not saying, you know, if you walk in the night, there's a fear of stumbling. But Jesus was bold and knew exactly the plan of the Father. And he knew his time when he would die. And the disciples did not really fully understand all that was going on. Look at chapter 11, verse 11. These things he said, and after that... He said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. So they thought, Great! He's asleep! Maybe that's a good sign. That's what verse 12 says. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. In other words, now he's recuperating. Now he's going to be all right. But it sounded to them like Lazarus was already on the road to recovery. But however, Jesus spoke of his death. Look at verse 13 through 15. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Strange, isn't that? Nevertheless, he's been dead, but we're going to go to him. And this was done, and Jesus makes it very clear and very plain, that it was done for his glory that they may believe. Now they understood that Jesus was going to go back. He was determined to do so. There would be no talking him out of it. And this brings us to my text for today. I've said all of that by way of introduction. Here's our text, verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, 
Let us also go that we may die with him. Now he's called the twin or Didymus, and that's what that name means. We don't know anything about who the twin was. Brother or sister, we don't know. The scripture and history don't tell us anything. All that we know that he was a twin and that he makes this statement. He tells his other disciple friends, let us go also that we may die with him. What an amazing pessimistic idea this is. All right. If Jesus wants to go, then we're going to go with him and we'll die too. <laughs> if they're going to kill him, we want to stay with him. You see, sometimes we think of Thomas and we remember when he said, if I can't touch his wounded side and the, the nail prints in his hands, I'm not going to believe. And so we always think of him as the doubter, but really he is a loyal friend. He's very pessimistic. <laughs> If he's going to die, let's go die with him. You see, he wants to be with Jesus. He was convinced that Jesus was heading straight for a stoning. And Thomas was determined to go with him. You can admire his courage. You can admire that. Now, it's not easy to be a pessimist in this day and age. But it wasn't easy for Thomas to be a pessimist either. It's a miserable way to live. The optimist would say... Let's go. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to work out. But the pessimist is saying he's going to die and we're going to all die. <laughs> Have you ever gone on some amusement park and you've ridden some ride? And you say, this is it. I know I'm not going to make it. <laughs> it wasn't really that because there was a true threat. They really thought that they were going to take Jesus and all of his disciples would be, would be in for death as well. It's much easier to be an optimist and be loyal, but it's really heroic to be a pessimist. Here is real courage. Thomas is devoted to Christ. He might have been so equal with John, and that's why I think that they were very close. I think that's why the Lord inspired, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write about this man, Thomas, in his gospel. Because he is devoted, he loves the Lord. And he was intimate with Christ. But it's clear from this text, verse 16, that Thomas didn't want to live without Jesus. If Jesus was going to die, then he wanted to die. In essence, he says, all right, y'all, let's suck it up. Let's go. It's, let's go and die. It's better to die with Christ than to be left behind. That's what Thomas is saying. Thomas is a real example of strength to the rest of the disciples. What strength was there? It appears that they collectively followed his lead at that point because they say, okay, let's go. And so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. They just pick up and they're going to Bethany. And Lazarus has been dead four days. And now they're on their way. They're heading to Bethany. Right back by Jerusalem and right back by the way that they had just come. So Thomas obviously has a deep devotion to Christ. And even though he is a pessimist, I'd rather die his profound love for the Lord again shows up 
in John chapter 14. And I'd like to jump over there to John chapter 14 and we'll kind of come back and look at some of these things a little, a little more in the future. But in John chapter 14, we see in verse 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Thomas knew that Christ was going to prepare them. But if you look down to verse 5, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? So he's just been said, Lord, we don't know. How, where are you going? And, and we don't know the way. I don't want to be without you. If you're going to die, let's die together. I just don't want to be apart from you. You see, that's this Thomas that we're talking about. Again, we see his pessimism. He doesn't know, Lord, I don't know where you're going. You're leaving. We're never going to be able to find you. And in his humanity, his broken hearted, here's a man in deep love with the Lord. Here's a man whose relationship with Christ was so strong, he never wanted to be severed from Christ. He never wanted to be apart. He shattered. The thought of losing Jesus paralyzes him. He had become so attached to Jesus in those years that he was glad to die with Christ, but he just could not think of living without him. You have to admire his devotion to our Lord. This was overwhelming for Thomas, and his worst fears come to pass. Jesus died, and he didn't. We pick up the picture, just go back just a little bit because... At this point in John chapter 13, Jesus had been instituting the Lord's Supper. And he just has dipped the sop with Judas Iscariot and tells Judas, what you do, you go and do quickly. You see that in chapter 13 and in verse 26, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I have given a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew what reason he said this to him. For some thought... Because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And having received the piece of bread, he then immediately went out, and it was night. Before the Lord institutes the Lord's Supper, or what some might call communion, or the Lord's table, Judas is gone. Judas isn't there. The one whose Satan had filled his heart, he's not at the Last Supper. He's not there. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified Him in this. And that's why we have the setting that He is trying to encourage the other disciples. And of course, it's at this point that Peter stands up and says, Lord, we'll never deny you. And the Lord tells him right there at the end of chapter 13, You will deny me and the cock will crow. I assure you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And remember, it wasn't until the invention of the printing press that we begin to get chapter and verses. And so the series, the story flows. That's why Jesus then says, let not your heart be troubled. 
He didn't want them to be troubled in their hearts. We're living in troubled times. We're living in perilous times. We're living in difficult times. But let me tell you, the words of Jesus are still true today. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He has gone to prepare a place for us. Thomas, in all of this setting, and he understands the Lord's Something's happening. Something's going on. And I want to stay with you, Lord. I don't want to leave you. I don't want to be apart from you. Having said all of that, now let's look to John chapter 20. Because this is after the resurrection of Christ. And in our world, people, we remember Christ coming into Jerusalem. People recognizing Him as the great King. People recognizing and looking for the Messiah. And Christ spending time with his disciples and saying, it's going to be all right. Don't let your heart be troubled. Thomas is shattered. This is really overwhelming. This is the worst of his fears coming to pass that Jesus would die and he wouldn't. And so that's why we pick up here in verse 24 of chapter 20. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. Thomas had missed out on everything. You see it in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine there had been doubt? There had been betrayal they didn't know? Mary had come back from the tomb saying, I've seen the Lord, and the scripture says that they did not believe. The two disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus, they were talking about the death of Jesus, and it took them a while for it to sink in. We've seen the Lord. He just walked with us. You see, so many did not believe, so we can't really place all of that doubting in just Thomas's camp. We can't just say that, oh, it was Thomas that was the doubter. They all doubted. None of them believed until they saw the risen Lord and he showed them his hands. He showed them his pierced side and says, peace be with you. When they saw this, the disciples were glad they saw the Lord. And Thomas is missing this whole thing. Why is Thomas not here in the upper room? Why is he not here at this day when the disciples were shut away and they were still afraid? They were afraid of the Jews. I wonder if it wasn't that Thomas was just bearing his grief alone. There are many in our world today that are having to bear their grief alone because we're staying separate. There are many hurting people that... You're bearing your grief, you're, you're concerned, you're worried, and you feel like you're all alone. But let me tell you, when your home is in Jesus, you're always at home. No matter where you are, you're at peace. The disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem, they had understood that, wow, 
we've seen the Lord, but Thomas doesn't get to see that. And that's why he's so pessimistic and negative. He says, and what a melancholy man this guy is. He is absolutely destroyed, and I think that he's gone away to deal with his grief. He didn't want to be around anyone else. He didn't want to be around anyone who would try to make him feel better. And now his worst fears had been realized. Jesus was gone. Thomas was sure that he would never see him again. He'd already said that as we read. Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. He may have still been thinking he would never find out where Jesus was and how to get to him. He was in no doubt regretting the fact that he did not die with Jesus. That he had been with those that ran away. He had determined in the first place, as we read in 11 and verse 16, that we'll go and die with you. But Thomas might have felt alone, rejected, forsaken. It was all over. It was all for nothing. He was in a mood that he wanted to just brood. He did not want to socialize. He was brokenhearted. He was shattered, crushed. He just wanted to be alone. He couldn't take being with anyone else. So the other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. Verse 25 we have seen the Lord. That's 20 and verse 25. And he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of his nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see how pessimistic he is? And that's why we call him Doubting Thomas. But I think from here on we'll call him Loyal Thomas, won't we? Jesus had showed up in the room. He had showed them. When we see something about Thomas that really sets him apart from the other ten, not that his doubt was greater, but his sorrow was greater. And look at verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He recognized this was the one he loved. You see, Jesus takes time to restore every individual. He takes time with Thomas. He doesn't say, Thomas, you should have believed. Why didn't you believe me back when I said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He does not deal with us in that way. He deals with us in a loving, caring way to bring us back. Thomas is devoted to Christ. And let me tell you that those today that don't know about Jesus, I don't know quite what to make of him, ask Thomas. <laughs> Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He worships him. The Bible makes it clear we are to worship only God. Finally, Thomas's ragged grief is eased a bit, and he's come in and he's there in their midst, and no one needed to tell Jesus what Thomas had said, by the way, they didn't have to tell him, but he says, because he already knew, look at my, put your hands here, feel the nail imprint, put your hand to my side. Thomas had erred because he was pessimistic, provoked 
by his grief, his brokenheartedness, his uncertainty, that pain of loneliness. And Thomas felt that unless he loved Jesus that way, that Thomas loved him, that no one could feel like he was feeling. And maybe we get those ideas in this day and age. Maybe we think nobody else is feeling this. But Jesus was so tender to him. He understands our weaknesses. He knows that we are but dust. He understands our doubt. He sympathizes with our uncertainty. He's patient when we are pessimistic. He recognizes these weaknesses. And we've got to acknowledge that Thomas is truly heroic here in his devotion to Christ. It made it. He understood that it was better to live with Christ. He did not want to be separated even if it meant death. The proof of his love was his profound despair. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. I hope anyone who questions the deity of Christ will meet Thomas. And suddenly, Thomas's melancholy, the comfortless, the negative, the moody tendencies were forever gone. They were forever banished. And at that moment, he is transformed into a great evangelist. In very short time after Pentecost, along with the other apostles, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit came in the new office, he is empowered to do the ministry. And he, like his comrades, takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. He takes the gospel to the corners. And there is considerable history and ancient testimony that suggests that Thomas carried the gospel into India. And I mentioned some time before, there is just outside of the airport in Madras, India, where Thomas is said to have been buried. And there is still a church that claims in South India whose roots are traceable to the beginning of that very church age, to that time of the apostle. Tradition says that he founded many churches throughout India and Persia along the way, but the strongest tradition says that he was martyred for his faith by being run through with a spear in his side. The mark of the master. Amazing that Thomas would die the same kind of way. There are pessimistic people going around today saying, oh, woe is me. We don't know what's happening. Maybe some that are pessimistic about the church and we look around our world and we think, oh, it's all, this is it. But there is one thing, all those that came in contact except for Judas the, all that they had in common was a willingness to acknowledge their own sinfulness and to look to Christ for the grace that was needed. And Jesus met them with grace, and mercy, forgiveness, tenderness, and transformed their lives into lives that would glorify Him. And He does that yet today for us. He does that still now. For any who will trust in Him, there is a passage that I dearly loved, and that's one that we've read 
today where Thomas says, my Lord and my God. For years, and many of you know that I was in prison for my own sinfulness, stupidity, ignorance. But there was a song that spoke to my heart. I hope today it will speak to your heart. I won't try to sing it. Everybody will shut off. It's a simple song. It says, Jesus paid it all. I hear my Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. I was thinking of Thomas. His strength was small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. Sin had left its crimson state, but he washed it white as snow. He transformed his disciples. They go into a world and impact a world for Jesus Christ that is still being felt today, these thousands of years later. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin is not a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.